From McKinsey Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice, I'm Sean Brown, and welcome to Inside the Strategy Room. When we talk about organizations, we often think in terms of their performance and their overall health. Gender diversity tends to be a subject that many relate to the health part of that equation, but new research has uncovered a fascinating correlation between gender diversity and corporate performance. Joining us today to discuss this research are Paula Ramos, a partner with our New Jersey office, and Tom Meekin, a partner based in our London office. Paula and Tom, thanks so much for joining us today. Paula, for executives seeking to build the case for greater gender diversity in top management, can you give an indication of how important gender diversity is for corporations and what's the business imperative? The short answer to that is yes, it is really important. And when we think about organizations and their health and their performance, this is a topic that tends to be correlated with health. When we actually see the data that it's uh, very correlated to actually economic performance. And that makes it a very compelling case um, for change. Tom, what did you find in the data? Paul is exactly right, Sean. If you look at the data, it's a very clear and compelling case. Um, those companies that are top, uh, top quartile in terms of diversity um, are 21 percentage points um, higher performing in profit terms than those companies in the bottom quartile. This has moved from being a health issue, being something you do in order to feel good or for, for sort of social purposes, this creates more value for shareholders. It makes better organizations. Can you tell us about what the foundation was for the research that we're talking about today? How long has it been going on, and where do you see it going in the future? A great question, Sean. This, uh, this research builds on um, you know, more than two years of work um, that uh, a group of colleagues have done in strategy and corporate finance to examine the link between CEOs their actions, characteristics, and company performance. And you know, some of our listeners may well be familiar with some of the other research we published on, uh, for example, boldness in new CEOs or the link between internal and external CEOs. We have a, a database uh, that's constantly growing, um, but of uh, you know, roughly 600 S&P 500 CEOs over the last 10 years. And uh, we use that database in order to put data and facts uh, behind a topic CEO performance um, that has hitherto been, uh, you know, one that's been either not analyzed at all or analyzed based on uh, a small number of case examples of really successful CEOs, supposedly, um, or a, a qualitative judgment. We've tried to marshal data against it, and so have used that in order to examine topics. Gender diversity is, is the latest in the series. We're working on others, including uh, long-termism and uh, capital resource allocation. Fascinating. Tom, in your research, you talk about the role that the CEO plays in driving gender diversity, both at the start of their tenure and at the end of their tenure. What was the average tenure for the CEOs in your research, and how did they drive gender diversity over that time? So, as you say, in this piece of research, we look at gender diversity through the lens of the CEO because we believe that um, a CEO, and in particular a CEO at the point of transition, is incredibly well-placed to make significant moves here. Indeed, two-thirds of CEOs um, change their management team, um, defined for us as 50% turnover or more in the first two years. But actually, the, the results are sort of slightly depressing. In spite of this significant opportunity for change, there's very little improvement, only two percentage points. Even more depressing than that, all the movement happens early. So uh, most of the change happens in that first two to three years. 
that's the opportunity, as, as, as I said, you know, that's where CEOs can have uh, the greatest sort of window for action. And, and we see very few improvements, um, with some exceptions, of course, as you would expect in a database this large, um, towards the back end of the CEO's period. Um, to answer your, the first part of your question, the average CEO tenure in our database is about eight years. So, you know, it's not as though they're lacking for opportunity to make some change here, even though we look to the first two. Are there any differences between internal and external CEO appointments in terms of what percent of CEOs actually take advantage of the opportunity to improve the gender diversity of their teams when they come in? And what percentage do they actually change? What's the impact? So within our overall data set, roughly 80%, 78 to be exact, of our CEOs are what we call internal promotions. So those that have made it to the top job uh, from within. Uh, 22% are external appointments. Counterintuitively, and in contrast to some other research we've done that demonstrates that external appointments are more bold in their early period, it, it's actually the, ex, the internals that make more significant moves. So amongst our group of internal CEOs, again, roughly 80% of the sample, the diversity rate within their management teams at the start of their tenure was 11%. So roughly one in 10 of the people on the management team were female. Um, at the end of their tenure, that number had jumped up by six percentage points to 17%. In contrast, external CEOs, those that came in from outside, stay still. They had a higher starting position, so 13%, um, but that position remained the same, again, 13%, right through until the end of their tenure. Did you pull female CEOs in the research, and were there any significant differences between the new male CEOs versus the new female CEOs? We also looked at uh, female CEOs as part of the research. And um, you know, first thing to say, a relatively small proportion of the overall sample, so roughly 8%. Now, given the, the, our, our bar for statistical accuracy, you know, this posed us some problems, particularly when we wanted to look at that number and how it varied by industry. Um, however, on that relatively small sample, we saw no perceivable difference in their propensity to drive improvements in gender diversity versus their male colleagues. We've talked a little bit about laggards. What did some of the leaders do during the CEO transition that really helped turbocharge the gender diversity of their teams? I think the secret is putting it in the front lines of the KPIs. If you start measuring it, um, the chances of it being effective uh, increase significantly. So if that is a true business priority, just put it uh, on your KPIs uh, and make sure you track them um, weekly or monthly, however the cadence is. We've talked about what a CEO can do in terms of recasting their top team. And obviously the makeup of the top leadership team is something the CEO is going to have a big say in. However, the leadership pipeline also admittedly plays a big role. Did you look at whether either internal or external CEOs, when looking to increase the diversity of their top teams, looked outside their organizations more or less? In other words, if you're an external CEO, are you more likely to bring in other external people? And did that provide an opportunity to increase diversity simply because you're going outside the organization? I think it has to do with um, actually going back on the funnel and as we know, um, there is a, very, a much higher chance the CEOs and top teams come from P&L ownership roles and careers. 
And how do you encourage and actually put the processes and systems in place so that the pipeline coming in and throughout the pipe, there isn't a big fallout of women uh, out of the roles that are typically the ones that will take you to the C-suite? I I think the other thing we obviously see is you get a a self-reinforcement, particularly with external hires. If a management team, by definition, is relatively uh, lacking in gender diversity, and those females that are on the management team are in uh, staff functions where we see women you know, overrepresented versus P&L functions. We observe that external CEOs bring some of their people with them often. Chances are those people are in P&L roles, and because they're in P&L roles, those people are male. So you do see a, a sort of self-reinforcement, particularly in the case of external CEOs, which is perhaps why you see them holding flat um, in gender diversity terms across their tenure, in contrast to their internal peers who you know, make relatively significant improvements, driving gender diversity by 30 to 40% um, over the course of their tenure. We've talked a lot about the top-down approach and what the CEO can do. What do you see employees themselves doing to improve the landscape? What I always say is the message from the top um, is necessary but insufficient. It's definitely something you cannot do without. However, there are many other things that need to happen in order to really advance. Um, I would say getting the basics right is one of the biggest ones. So as you would do for any um, business objective, how do you set the aspiration or the target? How do you set the reporting? And especially, how do you set the accountability to see that kind of change happening? Then there are other things that are really important too. So how do you de-bias and making and make the hiring and promotion processes fair? Um, and then finally, how do you lean forward to give access to resources, to mentoring, to the most exciting and promising projects to those who won't be necessarily the ones that raise their hands first, but the ones that might have the most um, capacity and capability to get it done. Thank you. Uh, We talked about how this is not just a female issue, but a male issue as well. What are some of the steps that men can take to improve this situation? So I think there are a few few steps that men can take um, to you know, improve the situation. And, you know, I, I really do think it's incredibly important that, um, you know, men see this as, as something for them to care about too. Uh, frankly, not just because of some of the economic performance data we talked, to, talked about earlier um, and that more diverse teams are better teams in performance terms, but, but also because, frankly, you know, it will create opportunities for them uh, to work with more talented, more diverse teams and also to... Um, uh, uh, you know, benefit from the gains that uh, flexibility in their professional lives will give them on their personal side. I, I've seen a few things. You know, one is, you know, really taking kind of mentorship and mentorship of, of women seriously and proactively focusing on it. Second, you know, being uh, aware of unconscious bias, um, particularly in evaluation processes, but also in Um, the allocation of new responsibilities, new opportunities, senior exposure uh, to some of the the kind of females in their team. Um, And the third thing is, um, you know, role modeling, uh, both in how they interact with and uh, treat colleagues, both male and women and female, um, but also in the kind of lifestyle that um, senior men lead. 
you know, do they have a lifestyle that to uh, the rest of their colleagues seems compatible with, for example, having a family? You know, or do they convey a, um, you know, a relentless, you know, work 24-7 uh, kind of attitude to their professional life, which sends negative and damaging signals further down in the organization and makes women on their team feel like uh, those senior roles are either undoable or, frankly, unattractive for them. I would add to that that the most um, one of the things that really make a difference is when men become acutely aware of their mini-me biases, and we all have them, um, but once, once you understand that that's just a human condition and you make trade-offs against that, but sometimes will include feeling uncomfortable about giving, you know, someone a role who won't perform the role exactly the way you would, but that will be just as or more effective. I think that makes a huge, huge difference. So awareness in terms of checking off your mini-me biases in the beginning are really important. Paula, Tom, thank you so much for taking the time with us on the podcast today. A transcript will be posted on the McKinsey.com site under the Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice, where you can also find links to previous episodes. If you'd like to receive updates featuring our latest insights, you can sign up for email updates on our website, follow us on Twitter at MCK Strategy, or connect with our community on LinkedIn via the McKinsey Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice page. Thanks again for joining us.